Welcome, team, to podcast number 26, episode 26 of policeradio.com. I'm your host, Alpha Mike. What are we discussing today? Well, the Second Amendment. And we're going to talk about is it a confirmed right, absolute, or is it a controlled right? What does the Second Amendment basically tell us? Well, ratified December 17, 1791, it says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people shall keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So we're going to look at this and many more issues today here on lpoliceradio.com. Let's team up, let's suit up, let's hook up, get fired up, and let's roll. the right to bear arms that will not be infringed. It's been a controversial, controversial amendment, never touched by a Supreme Court, never. All the other ones have been kind of tweaked here, tweaked there, but not the Second Amendment. Why? Well, what is a regulated militia? When the author wrote the Second Amendment, it was intended for George Washington to create the militia. So there was a different purpose. According to scholars, it's been a controversial amendment ever since. For many on one side, from my cold, dead hands, you'll take my weapon. From the other side, no one should have weapons. Maybe not even the police, if that sounds crazy. Well, somewhere in the middle, we currently reside. So we're going to look at this very important issue. This podcast episode hopefully will do an hour, but it might not, because that's how important this topic is. But we are going to do our best to try to wrap it up within an hour, but we're never promising anything. The Second Amendment, a lot of people die for it, a lot of people hate it. Love it or hate it, it's here and it's something we have to deal with. We're specifically bringing up this subject on on the podcast because of the school shooting in Broward County, Florida. And we do know that there is a ban or an attempted ban on... Um, AR-15s, I'm not going to use the uh, media slogans if you were thinking I was going to use a media slogan. Currently, the state of Florida, they opted to arm teachers, which is controversial for a lot of people. Two, they agreed on mental health at the schools. And, but the third option of uh, a ban or a limit on AR-15s, at least in the state of Florida, the legislation did not approve that, and it did not go forward. So the issue is, can we actually blame the item or equipment that was used in this mass murdering? 
similar if, if an individual would have used a car, a knife, or anything like that. Now, what they did do in the Florida law, they, they increased the age limit from 18 to 21. My personal opinion on that is a hypocritical one. You can serve your nation at 18, be trained, and trained to kill. You can not drink in the state of Florida till you're 21. And somewhere in the middle, the issue with the AR-15s uh, were mixed up there, and there was uh, no thought process into it. So now they're going to raise that to 21. But we got that, and we're going to look at some other issues. But first, you know what we got to do, folks? Yep, time for LP News Countdown. Now we're limiting it, our, our news articles to three because we got a lot on the agenda. So let's start. One. Our first news story is an ongoing story over at Rikers Island, New York City. Mayor Big Bird wants to close down the city jail system. And I don't, who knows what he wants to put in its place. But an article, and this has been raging on for quite a while, and it's starting to take up steam again. And basically, uh, what they came up with, as of January 1st, there are 8,705 prisoners in the city jail, 6,793 of them on Rikers, which is an island that houses nine jails. December was the first month in three decades that the average daily population was below 9,000. There's a systemic change underway in New York City, said Elizabeth Glazer, director of the mayor's office of criminal justice. God only knows who she is. As she stood in front of the detention center Tuesday, it's not just that crime is down. We have the lowest incarceration rate of any big city. New York City's incarceration rate is 167 per 100,000 people in 2016. They try to impress you with the baloney numbers, okay? The soon-to-be shutdown jail is currently half full with 580 inmates. That's one of the nine jails that they have there, representing an 8.5% of total of the population. It was selected for closure this summer in due part due to structural issues like broken cell doors and sewage problems, Glazer said. Does that tell you everything? It's broken cell doors. Yeah, not like a, a liberal proactive in law enforcement. So this is going to be mind-boggling because they're closing down Rikers Island. It's been there forever and a day. It's falling a freaking apart. It's sinking in the middle of the freaking river. And they have to come up with another solution. So they've come up with, well, we can have other little jails all over the all over the city. You want to talk about a cluster? Well, Big Bird's about to have one go down. I can't wait to see this one unfold if I see it in my lifetime. Two. We got another Big Bird story. This guy, boy, he can fill up the airwaves with his stupidity. Here's another one that... Um, Again, it's hard to explain, but Mayor Big Bird grips, gripes about rules barring spouse, spouses from being, gig, from being paid a gig in the government. And he's basically talking about his own wife. Mayor Bill de Blasio, a.k.a. Big Bird, on Wednesday said it's unfair for his wife can't legally get paid for work she's doing as first lady because of nepotism rules common throughout the country, which is asserted effect, uh, affecting women uh, more than men. I don't understand. It's because if someone is working full-time and is a professor with a lot of background and applying themselves, I don't understand why they can't get paid. The mayor said when asked about his wife's role, at, at, at a press conference. She works full-time. It makes no sense to me, but that's the reality he added. Are you listening to this? She can't get paid, so she's doing it volunteer, and she's doing 110%. The mayor also suggested the rules have an underlying 
sexist element because most of the elected officials in the office are men. Are you listening to this crap? You're paying attention. Huh? This guy's a runaway freaking train. Three. All right, it's the ongoing saga of the high school shooting in Broward County. And the captain that gave the standing order is identified. And it's, it's basically she ordered that a perimeter be set up. So the Broward County Sheriff's Office has identified that cap, the captain who, according to sources, directly respond, responding deputies, directed responding deputies to units to stage or form a perimeter outside the high school instead of rushing immediately into the building as the mass shooting unfolded there. Multiple law enforcement and uh, official sources said the commands in the initial moments after uh, the scumbag allegedly opened fire would go against all training, which instructs the responders to go, go, go until the shooter is neutralized. As law enforcement arrived, the shooter ident identity and exact locations was still unknown. So basically, the captain gets on the airways and says, set up a perimeter. Now, that's not the protocol. The uh, active shooting protocol was changed right after Columbine to engage the shooter, limit their movement, limit their casualties. No time for setting a perimeter. Well, dinky breath here. She all of a sudden, she didn't get the freaking memo. She's been asleep all this time. There's a school shooting, and she says to set up a perimeter. Now, the jury's still out on the sheriff, but he talked about such great leadership that he's provided. Well, my issue with this is, really? Your command staff is not con connected to current trends and training. That says everything about your leadership. And this one's a product of Fort Lauderdale. They came over there with him. So this, this is the bunch of apples he put in the basket. All right, folks, that wraps up our news segment. I can't wait to get into the mix. The Second Amendment. This is going to be a good show, and I'm looking forward to it. Distinct panel. We, we've got a lot on the agenda on this subject, and it is something that I said earlier. A lot of people are either 1,000% for it or 1,000% against it. But before we start our, our segment, I want you to pay attention to, I'm going to play you two clips, uh, but I want to start off with uh, some enthusiasm. So listen to this first one. I want to talk to you about guns, why we have them, why the Bill of Rights guarantees that we can have them, and why my right to have a gun is more important than your right to rail against it in the press. I believe every good journalist needs to know why the Second Amendment must be considered more essential than the First Amendment. This may be a better pill to swallow, but the right to keep and bear arms is not archaic. It's not an outdated, dusty idea some old dead white guys dreamed up in fear of the redcoats. No. It's just as essential to liberty today as it was in 1776. These words may not play well at the press club, but it's still the gospel down at the corner bar and grill. And your efforts to undermine the Second Amendment, to deride it, and denigrate it, to degrade it, to readily accept diluting it, and eagerly promote redefining it, threaten not only the physical well-being of millions of Americans, but also the core concept of individual liberty our founding fathers struggled to perfect and protect. I agree wholeheartedly. A free press is vital to a free society. But I wonder, how many of you will agree with me that the right to keep and bear arms is not just equally vital, but the most vital to protect all the other rights we enjoy? I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. 
It is America's first freedom, the one right that protects all the others. Among freedom of speech, of the press, of religion, of assembly, of redress of grievances, it is the first among equals. It alone offers the absolute capacity to live without fear. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. Now, either you believe that or you don't, and you must decide. Because there's no such thing as a free nation where police and military are allowed the force of arms, but individual citizens are not. That's a big brother knows best theater of the absurd that has never boded well for the present peasant class, the working class, or even for reporters. Now, I doubt any of you would prefer a rolled-up newspaper as a weapon against a dictator or a criminal intruder. Yet, in essence, that's what you've asked our loved ones to do through an ill-contrived and totally naive campaign against the Second Amendment. Besides, how can we entrust to you the Second Amendment when you are so stingy with your own First Amendment? I say this because of the way in recent days you've treated your own, those journalists you consider the least among you. How quick you've been to finger the paparazzi with blame and to eye the tabloids with disdain. How eager you've been to draw a line where there is none, to demand some distinction within the First Amendment that sneers, they are not one of us. How readily you let your lesser brethren take the fall, as if their rights were not as worthy and their purpose not as pure and their freedom not as sacred as yours. So now, as politicians consider new laws to shackle and gag paparazzi, who among you will speak out? Who here will stand and defend them? Well, if you won't, I will. Because you do not define the First Amendment. It defines you. And it is bigger than you. Big enough to embrace all of you, plus all those you would exclude. That's how freedom works. Clearly, too many have used freedom of the press as a weapon, not only to strangle our free speech, but to erode and ultimately destroy the right to keep and bear arms as well. In doing so, you promoted your profession to that of constitutional judge and jury, more powerful even than our Supreme Court, more prejudiced than the Inquisition's tribunals. It's a frightening misuse of constitutional privilege and I pray that you will come to your senses and see that these abuses are curbed. As a veteran of World War II, as a freedom marcher who stood with Dr. Martin Luther King long before it was fashionable, and as a grandfather who wants the coming century to be free and full of promise for my grandchildren, I am troubled. The right to keep and bear arms is threatened by political theatrics piecemeal lawmaking, talk show psychology, extreme bad taste in the entertainment industry, and ever-widening educational chasm in our schools, and a conniving media that all add up to cultural warfare against the idea that guns ever had, or should now have, an honorable and proud place in our society. Now, before you start complaining that that was a little bit too long, and it was... Did you hear the content? This stuff is 21 years old. He's predicting the future that we're living in now. He's talking about the wacky media. He's talking about liberalism trying to take our guns. He's talking about the Second Amendment, and we're still going through the same issues. He's talking about, in reality, what's happening now. Being a patriot, as Charleston Heston was identified as, of course, he was an actor by trade. But he could have had a nice, comfortable living, sitting at home, not worrying one bit about the Second Amendment. But he chose to partner with the National Rifle Association in being, I believe it's uh, fourth 
four-time president and advocating on behalf of the Second Amendment, not because of the NRA, not because he wanted to hear his voice, because he was a patriot and he believed in the Second Amendment. It's a dying breed, my friends. There's not too many of those left. It's great hearing his voice. As we go on into this segment, I'm going to play another one. It's going to be shorter, and it's going to be about Anthony Scalia, Supreme Court Justice, and he's talking about the Second Amendment. It's what the legal scholars... And of course, he's passed. He's, he's no longer with us. But he was one of those great scholars and legal mindset that was guiding the Constitution along. And we're, we're going into some scary waters now because we don't know what's going to happen. But I want you, and we're going to play that later on down the road, I want you to hear what Justice Scalia says about the Second Amendment. And it's, um, it's going to enlighten you. But again, we got a lot on the agenda, so we want to get to those things as fast as possible. Now, we've made a little bit of a change, and on our next podcast for episode number 27, I'm going to speak a little bit about the change, but... For now, we're going to have the intro is a little different. As you notice, we kind of have like an introduction to what we're going to talk about. Then we do our intro. We talk a little bit about the intro. We go into our news feed. And then uh, we talk about uh, the the main substance of the show. Then we're going to have a small segment called the training tip. It's about five minutes long. We're going to talk about 09 training concepts. The conversation, the next podcast, and we're off to the next episode. So that that puts a lot of uh, a lot of stress on the uh, on the microphone here, but we can accomplish all things through He who strengthens us. Now, before I play the the last clip on um, uh, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Scalia. And uh, one of the comments he made about the Second Amendment when he was alive. Everybody, of course, has a, every American has a genuine opinion as to the Second Amendment. And it boils down to two things. You're for it or you're against it. Now, I know that there are some people that say, well, you know, I, I own a gun and and I also believe that we should limit. Well, then that, you can't be on both sides of the fence. If you own a gun, do you allow other people to have guns? So you're either for it or against it. The elements, if you're for it, we'll talk about that. Or the abolishing of it, that, of course, would be controversial, but we can look at that. You can't be on the middle of this fence there. But everybody's, every American's opinion is a cherished right, and we are not challenging that. We're not saying that they're wrong, what their opinion is, because uh, thanks to the bravery of many in this country, you have the right to that opinion. But what we're looking at is what the law says, what exactly is the Second Amendment? A lot of us, we talk a lot, and we pound our chest as to, uh, it's a God-given right. Well, God never told us about the Second Amendment, so I don't know where that came from. But they are rights, and they are interpretations of rights. And in listening to this article and doing a little bit of research, I found out that Chief... Um, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Scalia, uh, being a tremendous legal mind, was of an opinion. And you have to first understand how they 
come up with their opinions. Well, your opinions, and he's also, there's uh, some other th articles and, and speeches that he's given, and I'll post those on lpoliceradio.com on the show notes where he's basically says that a judge's uh, opinions are not a political one. They're one based on the interpretation of the Constitution. So there are two items that Justice Scalia talks about, and one of them is textualism. And what that is is the justice looks at the text of the statute. Nothing more, nothing less. Doesn't want to hear the political jargon. He doesn't want to hear somebody spin on things. He wants to read or she wants to read the text. And based on that text, they will come up with a definition or, or a ruling. Then there's originalism. And originalism basically is talking about the original meaning of the text or the statute. Now, what exactly was in the mindset at the time that that was written did they mean? Now, what's important, and you're going to hear Chief Justice Scalia on this uh, small clip, he's basically going to say that the mindset, and you, you know, you got to pick it up when he's talking, of the four of the founders of this country, when they wrote the Second Amendment, was the right to bear arms. That means you have to physically carry it. So it, they were not talking about a cannon, and you'll hear him say that. But then he'll talk about how do you now look at bear arms in today's society? How do you do that? The reason this is important He's no longer with us. He was the deciding vote on the Second Amendment issue. He was one of the greatest legal scholars on, on the Supreme Court. And now he's gone, and he's been replaced. And many of them that are at that statute have said you can't replace him. So how he comes up to this type of... Um, decision up to now is going to be weighed heavily on any Second Amendment challenge in the Supreme Court. Now, the reason I bring this thing up is, again, we can all have opinions, but we have to see what is this statute. What exactly was the meaning of the statute? And from there, you form your opinion. Now, I know some people don't agree. Uh, you know, there's some people that hate the Constitution. They're too busy hating the country. They don't have time for the Constitution. So none of this is very good hearing to their ears. So they're tooting it off. But you lately you have seen federal judges talking about what the president said at the time of of the primary and looking at news articles. Well, that doesn't fit in what we just talked about in textualism or originalism. You're looking at the political feel. And a lot of our justices are doing just that because they are part of the left. They are part of, they, the left put them in power. They're a part of the obstruction. But they're not looking at the law the way the law should be looked at. But now we've given you a little bit of education on that. Let's uh, spin into the little clip with Anthony Scalia. News right now with the Rockefeller Farewell, and that is gun control. Uh, you wrote in 2008 uh, the, the opinion in District of Columbia v. Heller, uh, the majority opinion that said the Second Amendment means what it says. People have a right to bear arms. Question, how far does that constitutional right go? Can a legislature ban semi-automatic weapons or can it ban magazines that carry 100 rounds without violating an individual's constitutional right to bear arms? 
What the opinion in Heller said is that uh, it will have to be decided in future cases what limitations upon the right to keep and bear arms are permissible. Some undoubtedly are, because there were some that were acknowledged at the time. For example, there was a tort called affrighting, which if you carried around a really horrible weapon just to scare people, like a, a head axe or something, that, that was, uh, I believe, a misdemeanor. So uh, yes, there are some limitations that can be uh, imposed. What they are will depend on what the, what the society understood were reasonable limitations at the time. There were certain location limitations. Uh, where, where, what where, about these technological limitations? Obviously, we're not now talking about a handgun or a musket. We're talking about a, uh, a weapon that can fire 100 shots in a minute. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh, obviously, the, uh, uh, the amendment does not apply to uh, uh, arms that cannot be hand-carried. It's to keep and bear, so it doesn't apply to cannons. But I suppose there are handheld rocket launchers that can bring down airplanes that will will have to be uh, uh, it'll have to so be decided. How do you decide that if you're a textual very carefully. <laughs> my, my, my starting point and probably my ending point will be uh, what limitations are within the understood limitations that the society had at the time. They had some limitations on the nature of arms that could be born. So it, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, uh, what, what those limitations are as applied to modern weapons. Do you see how important this is going to be? You, do you see how important voting is? If enough Americans vote for the wacky left, the communist left, the socialist, you're not going to have a spitball machine to work with. You're not going to be allowed anything, but the government will. And you know historically how that's gone for various societies where the people were not armed and the government was. So it's so important. The government has the ability and the right constitutionally to limit. Limit. So there's nothing wrong with limiting. So it's time that we come up with some pretty good measures and we really take a good look at it. My personal opinion, any armament that you can carry that can immediately stop the threat against you or others should be allowed. Any armament that can take out a city block should not. And in between all that, there's a fine-tooth comb with a lot of idiots in Washington that have never managed anything, never done anything, and the only achievement they have in life is to sit in a freaking chair in an office in Washington, D.C. Freaking scary. But those are the cards that we're dealt with, and those are the issues at hand. So the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, I'm a, I'm I'm on a supporter, a hundred percent supporter of it. I believe that citizens should be armed, lawful citizens. They should be well trained with it. That's the militia aspect of the clause. And they have to be responsible gun users. Like I've said, and I'll say it again on this show. The wacky left, the communist left have instructed their lawyer followers in citizen shootings or police shootings, sue, and I'm not talking about the girl, sue, sue, and sue again because they're trying to scare the civilian population. Now, if, if you get sued and you get into that compromise, you're going to have to hire a lawyer there's a lot at stake, your home, your family fortune, a lot of things. So there is insurance for that type of thing. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not pushing insurance. You know if you're a, a gun lover, 
like I am, you know where to go and who offers it. There are several places, not just one. But I, I suggest you get it. Why? You never want to have hesitation of pulling out a weapon and shooting it because you're afraid you're going to get sued, but you might end up dying. So I would. How important is the training aspect of it? It's, it's extremely important. Because imagine you pull out that gun and you accidentally shoot the wrong person. Now, it could be weighed in the heat of battle and all that, or it could be weighed on um, liability on your part because you just didn't know how to handle the weapon. My career, I remember an individual that was a law enforcement officer walked into a GameStop store in Miami and uh, it was being held up. They were off duty in plain clothes. They were armed. And um, when he was faced with that situation, he had to make a decision whether to engage or not. They asked uh, for the patrons for their wallets. Therefore, he had to turn his in. He had to make a decision because he had a badge and an ID inside that wallet. So he, he decided to fight back and he pulled out in the small of his back his firearm. And when he pointed at the subject, click, nothing happened. He had his safety on. And then uh, one of the bad guys shot up in the air, in the ceiling, and uh, the, the rest of all the, all the scumbags ran away, bottom line. They didn't engage. They just ran. But it could have went bad. Well, that individual officer was sent to training for remedials and um, how to carry his weapon without a safety and how to properly use it. So if you're listening to this, and a lot of people, I always carry with my safety. Well, I don't. And I recently purchased a Smith & Western, a 9mm M&P, and they had two options, one with safety, the, the one without. And I told the, I told the clerk that, that provided me with the weapon because he brought both. I told you, well, you wasted your efforts giving me the uh, safety. You could take that back and give it to somebody that doesn't know any better. And I took the one without the safety. Listen, when the bad guy, when you're confronted with that decision the, to take out your weapon and defend yourself, your, your life or the life of others, the bad guy's got to drop on you already. You got to fumble around with a safety? Think about that one. So I'm, I'm pro-Second Amendment, but I also know that the government has the ability of limitations. I think that this is the time for people that are Second Amendment pro to get on board with those changes. Stop the left before they get into power. And like I said, we won't even have blowguns to shoot spitballs anymore. Don't waste that valuable lot right that the Congress gave us in the Second Amendment. The right to bear arms. So basically it's saying I have to have the ability of carry. Okay? Can't be a cannon like you heard Judge Scalia say. Okay? And it has to be sensible. It has to be the ability to knock out the threat, not a block. Not spray and pray and all these other things that are occurring. The government sometimes leads us, leads us on some paths that cause mass destruction because it's good for the narrative in the future. And I'm not going to get into that subject of other things that they've banned and why they've banned it, listen, if it doesn't stop the threat, if it doesn't have a minimal casualty rate, which is very hard to decipher what weapons will have that and what won't because it's based, it's based on shooter's ability. It's based on a fluid and dynamic situation. But to give me the ability to put a tool on my weapon that can spray... And that's all I'm going to say on that one. And, and, and pray it hits the target. 
is foolishness. So it, now's the time, in my opinion, for the government to step in. And I don't believe in standing up and so out of my cold dead hands and all this other stuff. I believe, and I, and I think Charleston Heston was a great American because he didn't have to do what he was doing. He was well off. He could have been sitting in his house with a rocking chair doing nothing. But he chose to be an advocate for the NRA and protection of the Second Amendment. And you heard his speech, eloquent speaker. And I miss that voice. But at the same time, you have to be a realist that if the Constitution and the scholars that read the Constitution say, well, the government does have the ability to limit, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. That's all I could say. Now we're going to have our new segment, and it's called 09 Training Tip. You know, the human mind is incredible. There was a study, and there have been several studies by universities, that as long as a word is has the correct letters in place in the beginning and at the end, the mind takes over and basically tells the reader what they're reading. And the word is totally misspelled. You can actually write an entire par paragraph of misspelled words, but because the first and last letters are accurate, the mind tells you what you should be looking at. And that's how incredible the mind works. Now, I'm going to post a copy of what I'm talking about, an 09 training group. And the reason I brought that up is sometimes agencies really get stuck up on grammar, periods, commas, and is it really needed? Well, it looks much more professional, and it makes a great testimony in court. But is it really the paramount? Is it is it the it's it the beginning or the end all of everything? Well, it shouldn't be. Report writing should be a factual gathering of information. But there's the key word in that sentence: factual. Sometimes. When you're in the experience, you have tunnel vision, and you might not be able to really accurately write what occurred. Oh, yeah, you have a recollection of what occurred because you were involved in it, let's say, an actual fist fight or uh, a shooting, but there was a part where the mind took over and you were just focused on the threat. Therefore, you can't really talk about the totality of circumstances and it's entirely accurate, being entirely accurate. But you are a good author. So here's the question. We're, we're going to be the report writer. We're going to write date, time, location, what we were trying to investigate. Oh, basically, the subject matter of any report, which is, the who, what, where, when, and why. Actually, that came from a journalist, that aspect of investigation, who, what, where, when, and why, and not necessarily police work. They're called, or they're referred to as the five whys. And although they're not wrong in any sense, they've been around for many, many years, probably from the early 40s, and we'll list a, a copy of that. They're kind of really accurate when it comes to what you need to look for in an investigation. So we have implemented that in report writing for criminal justice. And it works. It works out pretty good. But now there's another concept I'm going to throw out. And that is something that the writer is adding to this. Not only fact-gathering like we discuss, but what they lived, what they saw, what they experienced. And as they write those things, it becomes evidence. It becomes scientific gathering. Scientific gather gathering? What are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is 
something called phenomenological role, the role of an incident report. And let me just read briefly, and we're posting this on 09 so you can look at it. In summary, law enforcement officers' incident reports are often foundational documents attorneys can use to begin laying a scientific foundation at trial and needed to be thought of as a phenomenological document. These lived and or observed experience reports are qualitative in nature and are also often used by scholars performing qualitative research. Incident reports contain descriptions and data about a lived experience that involved the officer and the subject phenomenologically is one of the qualitative research mythologies that is often used by expert witnesses and others such as medical examiners at trial. Too often, officers' incident reports are only considered documents used to help educate medical examiners and others about events. However, when it is rightly classified as a product of a qualitative research that can be used to help lay a scientific foundation at trial, suddenly the incident report gets the significance that it is deserved. You can see more about it. It basically talks about when an officer has an experience, he writes about that experience. Let's take in case and point a use of force. Well, that experience that the officer have had is a lived experience. So it's the foundation of scientific evidence. It's firsthand knowledge of what happened in the view of the authority or the victim or in any other realm that you want to position the officer in as an investigator. So here we can look at how it could be used. Now, often, as I just read, medical examiners kind of read an incident report from an officer to kind of like detail what had occurred so they can kind of piece the puzzles of that together. But the lived experience goes a long way. Remembering that knowledge is power, it will enable you to not only have the smart conversation, but to work smart as well. So in our segments, we're going to be adding the 09 training tip. And um, we originally wanted to do uh, an hour-long podcast, but on uh, podcast uh, 26 and on podcast... 27, I'm sorry. Podcast 27, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So these uh, training trips can be added to your arsenal and your tool, tool chest. We've talked about training. We've talked about the Second Amendment. We've heard um, Justice Scalia on how to review a case and the Second Amendment. I've given you my opinion on the Second Amendment. And we even heard from Moses, Charleston Heston, a.k.a. We have a lot on the agenda, but now it's time for the conversation. The enemy of faith is adversity, fear, doubt. All those things will rise up against you and it will defeat, if you allow it, your faith. See, faith is the things unseen and the will and hope that you have When those things like doubt overcome you, they basically 
defeat and chip away at your faith. And all of a sudden, an achievable item starts to become more and more difficult. You can't see the ultimate goal and the ultimate victory. You start to imagine living in defeat, living without the purpose. Your faith starts to erode and disappear. Scripture tells us that we cannot please God without faith. Faith is so important because it transports us from present day to future day. Let me give you an example. There was a time if you were in law enforcement that you were so enthusiastic about being a law enforcement officer. And then that moment came, you're still a civilian and you're going to put pen to paper and you're going to start the application process. Well, every stroke of the pen, you see yourself closer to that goal. Everything becomes achievable. You start to actually daydream about futuristic positions that you're going to have. It allows you to grow. And as you start going through the process, although it's difficult, your faith carries you through that process. You can see yourself in that uniform because it's something that you've always wanted. Therefore, that faith is so so amazing in your life, so powerful that it's literally picking you up and carrying you through this time in your life. Faith has the ability to do so much good for you. You carry that faith, that hope of that goal will be fulfilled and you'll have your ultimate dream. But then, once you have achieved that dream, now you need to achieve something else. Well, I put pen to paper. I filled out the application. I successfully passed the process. I was invigorated during that process. Now I'm going to the academy. I'm good at some things, and I need help on some others. But... My faith carried me through this process. And the ultimate goal for me at that time was achieved as they pinned that badge on me. Now I'm off to face the reality of my dream. But wait a minute. That's different from the original dream I had, which was to become a law enforcement officer. And I've just done that. Oh, I don't really know anything other than what they told me in school. But now I have to achieve another level. So now I have to put my faith back to work again. And I have to throw that in my tool chest with all the other stuff, things that I have in there. And I'm going to start building a goal, an objective of where I want to be as I move in this new field the field that I've chose, the field that I had so much faith that I could accomplish, the field that God allowed me to become a part of. God tells us in Scripture that he has created all governance and everything in it. That means he picked me for this role. Here I am. I'm here. But now for the next 20 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 years, whatever it takes me, I've got to continuously build on my faith. My faith has to literally pick me up and carry me that length of time. Not just a moment of time, but the entire goal. That faith is going to go through attacks of adversity of tiredness, of crying, of depression, of not wanting to go any longer. It's going to go through trials of defeat. And 
adversity and fear, boredom, and everything else is going to start chipping away at that faith. That faith will determine the ultimate goal at the end. Will I leave sooner than I expected? Or will I meet the ultimate goal? Faith is built by your belief on the carrier, on the, on the one that carries you through the faith, and that is the Lord himself. Oh, you can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. You think you can. Well, I'm smart enough, and I achieve days in school all the time, so I know that if I put my mind to something, I'll do it. Technically, you will. But when you went to the academy, you didn't break your ankle, did you? Tear up your knee? Those things didn't happen, did you? Shoot yourself in the foot? No. Because God had mercy. Because of his grace, you achieved that goal that you had. He's allowed you now to fulfill his statute, which is in the text, in the book of Romans, that all governance, chapter 13, all governance is created by God. He's placed you in that role. Your faith carried you in that promise. But how important it is to have the relationship with God to continue that faith, that promise that he gave you and build your faith and carry you through those 20, 25, 30, 35, how many lengths of years that are ahead. He has to carry you. He has to guide you. He will protect you. But you have to start the relationship. And that starts by recognizing who you are, recognizing what faults you have, and publicly announcing to him and only him. There is no other mediator. None. Through him, acknowledging your faults as disguised as sin and recognizing that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross once you've done that, well, you've got a new silent partner now that's going to be working with you through the entirety of your career, from beginning to end. See, in God's work, there is no coincidence. You're there because he allowed you to be there. Now it's time to train up and be closer to him so you can fulfill the ultimate goal. And your goal is not to look at yourself in the mirror in a police uniform or a corrections uniform. No. It's to help others. Don't worry. He'll guide you through that process as well. Oh, and on the way, you're going to meet a lot of bad guys that are going to try to stop you. What's on next for El Police Radio? Well, you can always check us out on lpoliceradio.com where we have the upcoming shows. And when you ever want to hear a podcast, you can go to show notes, hit the number 25, 24, 23, 22, 21, 12, 11, whatever podcast episode it is, and you can hear it in its entirety. The ones that are coming up, we've got two. March 22nd, LCN, La Costa Nuestra, which is LCN or in, 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 in FBI jargon, that's LCN. They're basically talking about the mob. The mob in America is, is still alive. And what the hell does that have to do with law enforcement? We'll explain that. And March 29th, MC, as in what? Motorcycle Club. Can you define it? And you get that and much more on L Police Radio. How do you connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, the website, and all these other social crazy networks, well, it's easy. Just go to lpoliceradio.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and all of a sudden all these icons are going to pop up, and all you got to do is hit one, tag one, and once you do, you come and you partner with us. We want you to subscribe, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever means you use to hear us, because it helps us. And through that empowerment, we can continue putting out content. 
What are we doing? Building a library of content, educating you, the listener, on the new threat in law enforcement. There are many. They're called the wacky left. They're in political positions. They're in law enforcement positions. They're out to get you and attack you and to neutralize you, neuter you, neuter you completely so you are just plain useless. What will carry you? Well, we just talked about it, your faith. And God is partnered up with you. So if you do as the recipes are calling out for, you will have a successful career and we will stop the Bolshevik communist terrorists at their track. Only here will you continue to get this type of contact, content on L Police Radio. Looking up and fired up, I'm out. Police Radio.